It's great to be up here this morning. It's great to see everybody. Um, so like I said, that's Ben. I'm Brandon. Um, so from my perspective, we were how many months without a preacher? Several, six or seven months. And that whole time I kept thinking, you know, are they going to ask me to preach? I know Justin preached several times and we had other people come preach. Even my friend Alexander came and preached in Spanish. Um, so I kept having this kind of internal battle. I'm like, when are they going to ask me to preach? Like, God, am I supposed to do that? Am I going to get up and, and preach on a Sunday? You know, I preach to the youth on Wednesday, but I'm like, maybe that's not my role to, to preach here on a Sunday morning. So we made it all these months, and then finally we brought Brother, Brother Ben on board, and I was like, thank you, Lord, and dodged a bullet. Didn't have to do it. And so I said, God, I guess you're saying, you know, maybe that's not what I'm called to do. That's not my role. Um, so we're in the, in, in the office. The first day Ben is here in office, uh, we're having staff meeting, and it's pretty much the first thing. Brandon has to say, but that we would just hear the Lord just speaking loud and clear. Amen. Um, and so um, me growing up in, in seventh grade on, I went to a church, uh, Putnam City Baptist. Um, God had actually called my mom and dad to, to kind of go back there. And at the same time we were going back, uh, her former youth pastor was coming back. Uh, his name is Bill Hulse, and he was her youth pastor in high school. So it kind of came full circle, and that was cool. Um, but what I love about having him preach uh, while I was growing up was he always had a little bit of youth pastor in him. Um, I don't know if that's a, a blessing or a curse that you just can't get rid of, but I guess you can't get rid of the youth pastor. So one thing he would do is in his illustrations and, and when he was teaching and preaching, um, he always had kind of that youth vibe to it where, you know, you're playing games, you just have these visual illustrations. So I kind of want to do something like that this morning. So if you would, if you've got your uh, bulletin on there, you're going to see at the top, we're going to do a little thing called Old versus New. And new should kind of be in quotes because you're going to see some things on that left side that are old, and then you're going to see some things on that right side that are quote-unquote new, but maybe by this point in time, they're not even new. Those things are old now. But what you're going to do is with the person next to you or maybe somebody around you, uh, our kids are in here this morning. We don't have children's church, so y'all can play too, and you feel free. Um, but what age is there really where we should stop having fun, right? So we're going to have a little fun this morning. Maybe next to the person you can compete even. Um, and there's nothing wrong with competing in church, I don't think, so maybe have a little competition. What you're going to do is you're going to guess the year of the thing on the left, and then you got to kind of write small because the blanks are small. So guess the year of the thing on the left, and then the year of the thing on the right, the old versus new. So let's see the first one. you get kind of an idea. So that there on the left, that is the very first uh, Apple Mac. That's the first one that came out. And then on the right, that's what I use to, to type up the sermon. That's the newer Apple Mac. Okay, so you're going to guess the year of each one and maybe see if you can maybe get within five years or something and compete with the person next to you. My wife, Kylie, she said she'll buy you lunch if you get them all right. So there you go. I'll give you a couple seconds. All right, let's see. What's, what we got? 1984 and the first MacBook. Get either of those? All right, let's try again. Let's try another one. Okay, on the left, can y'all even tell what that is? That is a TV. Good job, Barrett. That's a, the very first TV, as far as what I could tell on the internet. And then on the right, you got, that's a flat screen. So what you're guessing is the very first TV versus the very first flat screen. Okay. And no using Siri. That doesn't count. You got to just use your best guess. All right, let's see. The very first TV was 1927. I won't make you raise your hand if see if anyone remembers that. Some of these kids in here are like, I don't even know what that stuff is. Just ask your grandma or grandpa. They might. I don't know. And the first flat screen was 1997. And then nowadays you've got just all kinds of crazy stuff. All right, let's see the next one. 
Here we got, can y'all even tell what that is on the left? There it is. That is a camera. They're having to climb a ladder and looks like he might be falling off on the end. That's the very first camera. And then over there, that's the very first fully digital camera. And like I said, nowadays, you don't even carry one of those. You just got your iPhone, right? So let's see. I'm hearing 18 something. There we go. 1816, 1988. All right, next one. We got any video game players in the room? All right. Okay, on the left, we got, that's the very first uh, Atari 2600. Okay, it's not the first console, but that's like the first Atari. And then on the right, that's the original PlayStation. What are we on now? PS5? So you got to go even five back to PlayStation 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. That's the first PlayStation. All right, write your guess. Okay, 77. Some of y'all remember that. Oh, 77, that was a good year. I was uh, not born then. Um, and then 1994. Okay, last one here. If you haven't got one right, maybe you can get one right here. Okay, over there, that is the very first automobile. Yeah, automobile, car. Okay, and on the right, let's see if we can get this one. This is a 2022 Bugatti uh, Chiron Supersport. So see if you can guess the year on that 2022 Bugatti. I bet you can get it. Don't overthink it. You should leave here at least having one of these right. Okay. 1886. Anyone want to stand up and say, yes, I drove that? Maybe not. Okay, and then, yeah, 2022. Maybe even came out 2021. I don't know. It might have been a trick question. Okay, but there's that. So thanks for playing. All right, did anyone get, uh, let's say, all of them right? Anyone get one right? There we go. All right, good job. Thanks for playing. Uh, so I found all those either on Wikipedia or other places on Google. So feel free to, you know, fact check me and come back and say, hey, you got this wrong. Right, give me my credit. Uh, it's not for a grade, but I'll fix it for you anyway. Uh, so let's kind of transition now. We're going to get into the Word of God. Um, so as we transition, if you would turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Hopefully you can find kind of a connection this morning between old and new. And like we looked at there, some of those things that are new by now, 2022, they're old, right? So what we're talking about this morning is a new that will never go old, right? We're talking about something being brand new in a way that, that can never be undone. So as we get to Ephesians 4, uh, starting in chapter 17, uh, if you would, when you get there, if you'd stand in honor of God's word. Ephesians four seventeen. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity this morning. I thank you for this church body that's here. Um, I just pray that you would speak to us through your word, um, that you would teach us what it is that your spirit wants to teach us, and that we'd be willing to hear it, and that our lives would be affected by it, that we would truly put off our old selves, and that in Christ we would become new. And we're just thankful for that. We're thankful for the blood of Jesus. pray that you just speak this morning, and we just thank you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. So, as we look here in Ephesians, we want to kind of zoom out a little bit. We want to look at the, just the context of the whole book of what's happening here in Ephesians. Uh, so the Apostle Paul, he's writing this letter. 
Um, and scholars think that, you know, Paul, he might have been writing to several different churches. Okay, it might not have been just one church in Ephesus. People even argue, was this even to Ephesus? Uh, that's kind of beside the point. But it seems like maybe a, a way to sum up the, the theme of the book is, is like one whole. He's writing to all these churches as a whole. Uh, a theme could be unity. So here where we are in chapter 4, even if you back up a few verses, verses 4 through 6, you see this word one over and over again. There, verse 4, if you want to back up there, it says there is one body. There is one spirit, just as you were called to the hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I just think that right there as a theme of the passage is so important just in and of itself, right? Just the message of unity, right? The message of being one, one God, one baptism, one faith. Um, some of you know in Muskogee, uh, Pastor Alexander, who came and preached, uh, I interpreted for him, where we're doing a church plant there in Muskogee, and we just recently, a couple weeks ago, had our inaugural service. Um, and Alexander, he preached his first sermon. For him, it wasn't his first sermon. It's probably like 191st or whatever. But one of his main points was that his desire for the church isn't just to be a Hispanic church, right? It's not to be a Latino church. It's not to be a Spanish-speaking church. It's just to be a church, amen? Just to be of all different people and backgrounds and languages and cultures, just to be one church, right? Um, here at an association meeting we had uh, with, with Bill Rowland over at the building, uh, the association building there, we had uh, Dr. Walter Wilson, he came and spoke one morning, and he just was kind of teaching on his perspective of being African-American and being a pastor. And, and one thing he said, if I could just sum up his message and kind of paraphrase what he was saying, he said, I'm not an African-American pastor, and we're not an African-American church, we're, we're a church, right? And he preached from this passage here in Ephesians, and he, he taught that, and he, he talked about our desperate need to realize that we are one body, we're one Lord, we're one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And the Apostle Paul, he's developing this theme throughout this letter of Ephesians and uh, among other things, but he's addressing not just one church, right? He's addressing the whole church, right? And we come to this point here in verse 17 where he's calling this whole church to a new life. A call to, as our message is called today, renovation. So if you're taking notes there on your bulletin, your, your first blank there is that uh, we need to be renovated. We need to be renovated. So if we look at verse 22, it says, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we're gonna look at what that means today and maybe what it doesn't mean. Um, so I'll kind of tell you right off of that, what that means is a clean break. Okay, that when we come to know Christ, we accept Jesus, we hear his truth, and we respond, there's a clean break from the old way that we were living before. Okay, the old habits we had, the old desires that we had, the old way that we used to live, that's put to death. We're no longer hanging on to anything from our past. And, and what we don't say is we don't say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to become a Christian, but I'm still going to hang on to this. Or I'm, I'm going to maybe take and choose this and that. I can't really let go of this. Um, I'm not a homeowner. We're renting right now. But some of y'all even know that own homes that you're doing renovations right now, maybe putting in a new vinyl floor, or maybe you're working on the roof or, you know, patching a leak or whatever it might be, new cabinets, new, new floor. We're not talking about us physically. We're not just fixing a leak, right? We're not just patching things here and there. We're talking about being completely new, completely rebuilt. We're talking about a complete demolition to say, you know, what I had before, that's done with, and, and I'm taking on something new so that something completely new can be built. But let's back up. Why, why is this? If we look at verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, Notice that he didn't stop the sentence there. He didn't say he heard about him, right? That's the first step you hear about Jesus. Each and every one of us in here at some point in your life, whether it was in church or out of church or a friend or a complete stranger, somebody told you the gospel, somebody told you the good news, and you heard about Jesus. 
Okay, that's the first step. And some of you have heard about Jesus over and over again for, for years, maybe even since you were a kid. If you're like me, you grew up in Sunday school hearing about it, some of you later in life. But the most important part of that sentence is not hearing about Jesus, it's that we are taught in him, not just taught about him. So we're not just trying to maybe live a little bit better by following him and saying, yeah, Jesus, he was a good teacher. There's people that say that, say, yeah, I agree with what Jesus taught, and I follow that, and I want to incorporate that in my life, because there's bits and pieces I think are really wise. We're not saying that, you know, I'm just going to choose, oh, Jesus, that's really wise. I want to follow that. I read one author that said, the words, in him, it implies that the instruction is coming from living fellowship in Christ. Okay, not just knowing about Jesus and knowing some of the things he taught, but coming to know him, coming to know who he is. Christ is not... For you teachers, he's not just like a subject that you learn in school. It's not just like learning history or science or math. You don't just study, you know, about Christ, uh, not just like something you learn in school. Another author said Christ is the school, if you will. You're learning in him, and in him is where you find that newness of life. So if we look at verse 23, it says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And right there, that spirit of your minds, that sounds a lot like what we can also read in Romans 12, 2, which says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So your next blank there in your notes is, we need our minds to be renewed. We need our minds to be renewed. So we're kind of left with, what does that mean for, for my mind to be renewed? Uh, Ray Comfort, he's an evangelist. You can see him on YouTube with the ministry called Living Waters, and they got a bunch of videos on there. But basically what he does, and him and other evangelists, but usually it's just him, He'll, he'll just go up to any random person on the streets, and he, he shares the gospel with them. He tells them the good news about Jesus. He's got a camera, and he's basically doing it in the format of an interview. And he's, he's you know, interviewing them. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? But in that, he's, he starts sharing the gospel. Some of them turn out to be atheists. Some of them are other religions. Uh, I even saw one where the girl was involved in witchcraft. She was growing up as a witch, and there's all these different kind of people. Maybe they never even just stopped and said, I don't know what I believe. I don't know if I believe in Jesus or not. But it doesn't matter who they are. He'll just go up to them in any part of town. He'll share the gospel with them. But one of the first things he always does is he has to help these people realize their sin. Because a lot of people, you know, they might even think, you know, I don't even have a need for a Savior, to realize that they are sinners who need a Savior. So one thing I've heard him say is, think about your thought life. Imagine that there's a screen here like we've got, and imagine that every time you think a thought, it's live, it's being transmitted on there. We're seeing a transcript of your thought life. And he says, imagine, you know, you shudder and cringe at that, and you're kind of scooting away from your neighbor, and you're like, I don't read my thoughts, right? I don't, that's, that's personal, right? That's my mind, right? But what Ray says, he says, and God sees it all, right? So when Paul is talking about here about the renewal of our minds, he's talking about allowing Christ to completely renovate, if you will, to renovate our thoughts, to turn them away from things, what he says is any kind of impurity, but things like that we see in scripture, like malice, like lust, like hatred, envy, what he says, like I said, any kind of impurity, and to fill them with heavenly things from above. So to, to completely renew the way that our minds think. Not only that, but it says there in, in Ephesians, says the spirit, some versions say the attitude of our mind, to renew our attitudes. So when our minds are renewed, our attitudes no longer reflect the things that did before, but they're gonna reflect an attitude of what? love, of joy, of peace. That, that's really what the fruit of the Spirit is. You could, you could list all those out. Um, our mind is reflecting these new things. When our mind is renovated and renewed, the fruit of the Spirit it overflows out of us, and it changes every aspect of our lives, especially how we view the world. That's the other thing it's talking about, renewing our mind. It changes how we think, how we view things. Uh, this only happens in Christ. And as we see back at the end of verse 21, according to the truth 
that is in Jesus. So with his truth, that's the only way that our mind can truly be made new. The next part we see here in verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So step one, right, we put off the old self. Okay, step two, our minds are being renewed. Okay, and we've got step three here, we're putting on the new self. Okay, I didn't study Greek. I did study a little bit of ministry in college, but I didn't study Greek, to be honest. I don't know it. Does anyone know Greek? Cool, I'm not alone. So, but what I've read based off people that do know Greek and have studied this language here, to put on and to put off, it's kind of like a metaphor that they're using in Greek. It'd be like saying to take one set of clothes off and put another set of clothes on. So our, our next blank there is we, we need new clothes. We need new clothes. So it's literally talking about taking what, off what you were wearing and putting on the new clothes, the righteousness of Christ. So what we're not talking about here is just I've got holes and loose threads and I've got some things that need to be patched up. I maybe have a little sin here that needs to be changed or maybe I need to stop living like this and I can patch this up. It's talking about when you follow Jesus, it's a complete change. And the way the tense of the language there it's used, we see that it's a change once and for all. And we thank Jesus for that because if it were up to us to continually trying to you know, get better and, and to reach his level, to reach righteousness, how far could you get? How far could we get? Um, not just to be better, not just to say, hey, I'm going to be better in this aspect of life or better here, but to be completely holy and righteous. How far would you get by you trying to patch up and, and to fix yourself? Even if you just think about it, think about your New Year's resolutions this year, 2022. Okay, it's, it's October. We're 10 months into the year. How many of you remember what your New Year's resolution was if you had one, right? Um, some of you are like, I don't even have a clue. I don't even know if I did one. Um, I don't even remember what I was trying to change. The first week of January... Kylie and I were hanging out with some of our friends, and uh, somebody brought this up, and we're like, hey, what, what are y'all's goals for this year? And so we kind of shared what they were and whatnot, went around, and then this summer, I think it was back in June, we hung out with that same group of friends again, and we're hanging out, and someone remembered, hey, remember when we did that back in January? How are y'all doing? And kind of checking and say, How, how's yours going? How's yours going? Um, and a couple people there doing all right, right? Like my sister-in-law, Mariah, she had this goal to I think it was to read a book every month. And she was like, I've been doing it. We're in June, and I've read six books. And so some of them were doing good. Um, I'd have to check with her now and see if she's kept it up in October. But the majority of us were like, yeah, it's going all right. Maybe some people are trying to lose weight, or some people are trying to make these changes. Or, and they'd say, yeah, it's going all right, not perfect. Or someone would even say, oof, let's, let's not even talk about that. Right? And so the point is on our own, when we try to make changes, people can have success in things. Right? We see it all the time where people have earthly success. They can get to the top of whatever they want to do, right? But in order to have what we're talking about, a complete change of our whole person, a complete change of our mind, a complete change of our spirit, and most importantly, our status of salvation, right? There's nothing we can do to control that. We have to put off our way of doing things and be fully devoted to putting on the righteousness of Christ, amen? But if we back up a few verses and we go back to where this started, in verse 17, where we started in 18 there, we look around and we say, are most people willing to do this? To say, you know, I can't do it on my own. The world around us, are they, are they willing to say, you know, I, I, I need help, right? To give up their sin, to, to their shortcomings, where they're falling short, to, to admit, hey, I need help. So let's read there in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So we see here the answer is no, right? The, the majority of people in the world are gonna be like this. They're in the dark. 
Okay, the word it uses is alienated, literally set apart, and they have no idea what the truth is. Uh, and it talks about hardness of heart. Right, they become, they use the word callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And we see this, that people are in this world, they're stuck in their ignorance. And the question we have to ask ourselves, those who are in Christ, and we've, we've said, Jesus, I need you to put your righteousness on me. The questions we have to ask ourselves, what should our reaction be when we see the world around us living in darkness? And when I was talking to Brother Ben, trying to figure out, hey, what, what are we gonna preach on this morning? He told me, if you could get one message to people, if you could only say one thing, what would it be? And I'll tell you, this is probably it right here. Your next point, we need to be a light. We need to be a light. So are we called to say, yeah, these people around us that are living in all these different sins, maybe it's family, maybe it's neighbors, maybe it's people around us. Are we called to say, like it says in, in the verse, the Gentiles, or say, oh, those Gentiles, they're lost. <laughs> those people are, are, are beyond lost. The people that live in that part of town, oh, they're lost. Or just look at how they're living. They're always doing this. They're always doing that. Oh, well, look at the drama that's going on with them, right? Look at their family drama. Or look at this thing that, look what they're, uh, you know, doing on the weekends. Uh, I talk about this with our youth a lot. Uh, look what they're posting online, right? How could they be supporting this? How could these people stand up and, and take this opinion on that? And, and sometimes we're surprised that, by that. And we say, can you believe they're supporting that? Um, some, but sometimes the people around us, like I said, we, we talk about this with the youth, but there's never an age where this stops being important. The people that you go to school with or that you work with, you see them and they're, they're clearly in sin, right? And whatever it is, Paul gives us the reason here. Why is it? Because they're in darkness. They've become callous. So what should our response be? Should it be to, to argue and, and try to say, hey, you need to follow the Bible. What you're doing is wrong. You need to have a biblical worldview. Turn around and, and change that. Uh, should it be to argue a bit with them about what they're doing or what they're supporting? Should it be to judge them and to say, man, that person has no chance? Right? That person, they're, they're so full in sin and they got so much craziness going on that they're, they're beyond help. Should it be to say, like some people would say, well, if God wants to save them, then, then he'll do it in his time. All right, those people that are living like that, if, if God wants to save them, he's going to have to do it. But let's look at what Jesus himself, what he said. In Matthew 5, if you want to turn there just real quick, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to shine the light through the darkness, amen? I heard a pastor say recently, I can't even remember who it was, but it might have even been online, but the idea was that sometimes instead of being a light, instead of being a light, we, we try to fight, right? That um, if, if you just look at the story of Peter in the garden, right? Jesus is about to be arrested and the soldiers are there and, and what does Peter do? He says, oh no, Jesus needs me. He says, I need to defend him, he needs my help. And he takes out a sword and he cuts off the high priest servant Malchus' ear. And Jesus, he takes that ear and he heals it and he puts it back on. And he says, Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not take the cup that the Father has given me? So what this pastor I listened to, what he was saying is that sometimes there's, his words, or sometimes there's a false allegiance whenever we say, oh, God needs me to protect him. He needs me to fight and say, hey, you're wrong, and he needs me to stand up. And it's kind of like saying, God, you're, you're, you're small right here. You needed my help to be big and to help you. We can't be surprised when, when people are lost in sin, 
right? When people disagree with us or when they have different worldviews that we say, oh, that's not what the Bible says. We can't be surprised when they're supporting things or when they stand up for things that are sinful because they're lost, right? Because they're in darkness. What my youth pastor would say growing up, he would say, we're called to be fishers of men. We're not called to be cleaners of fish, right? That's sometimes what we try to do. We say, hey, you need to fix up this and that. And no, that, that's wrong. Like what your opinion on that's wrong or the way you're doing this is wrong. Look at what the Bible says. And, and we try to argue with him about it. Um, I remember even the first person, one of the first people when I was in high school, I was in a small group and our youth pastor really encouraged us to even kind of make it a competition with, within the three of us that were there and said, hey, how many people can you share the gospel with this month? And we kind of got excited about it. We're young and our friends around us were uh, maybe coming to church. We we're, were actually sharing the word. But one of the first people I shared with, we were eating in an Arby's. Right? The perfect place to evangelize, right there in Arby's, eating roast beef. But um, I, we were just sitting down eating and I told him about Jesus. And I knew he'd heard about it before and he'd been in church probably before. But I asked him, have you ever prayed to receive Christ? And he said, no, I've never done that. So I led him to the sinner's prayer. And at the end of that lunch, you know what I said to him after we had finished praying, finished eating? I said, all right, man, this means you got to stop cussing now. <laughs> you got to, you can't, I hear you on the football field. You can't keep talking like that. You're a Christian now. And I, I see what you're doing on the weekends. No more drinking, right? That's not biblical. That's not what we're supposed to do. And I was picking these things about him and saying, hey, you need to fix this up. You, you're, you're, you're a Christian now. And while maybe I had good intentions, just like maybe Peter had good intentions in the garden, Right? Do you know how many times we, we actually had a Bible study after that or I got with him and we did discipleship? I think I invited him to church once and I think he came to church once and that was about the end of it. He just kind of, we went our separate ways. But what I've realized now is I was trying to be a cleaner of fish. Maybe I had good intentions, but um, I was trying to like clean his act up and say, hey, you need to fix this and that. I don't know if you've seen those videos. They're on YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or whatever you're on, but there's like these old nasty dirty living room rugs and they're caked in mud and who knows what else and looks like they haven't been used in months or years and they're just nasty. You can't even see the color on them. You can't even see the pattern on them. But it's kind of satisfying to watch these videos where they take these big machines that are spinning circles with shampoo and big brushes and, and they're, they're brushing them and little by little the dirt's coming off and it's so much dirt that they, you know, they have to uh, like take these squeegees and out the outside and get all the dirt away and then they go get another layer and then they clear all the dirt away. It's a long process. I was even thinking about putting a video up here to show you this morning, but it's a long process. We'd be here for an extra 30 minutes and you know, we got lunch plans and stuff like that. But imagine saying, you know, I'm an expert cleaner. I'm gonna take my rag here. I've been cleaning for years. I've been doing this all my life. All I need is a little rag and I'll clean it up. I'll do it in five minutes. Okay, who would wanna take that on? right? It, that'd be silly for us to say, you know, I can do it on my own. I can clean him up. Okay. And it's the same thing spiritually. Our response saying, our response is see lost people who, like it says, they're, they're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and they've given themselves to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. Our response should not be, hey, let me clean you up. Let me fix this. Our response should be, wow, I was like that. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for making me new. Thank you, Jesus, for renewing my mind. Thank you, Jesus, for dressing me in your righteousness. I don't deserve any of that. You've made me new. Now let me show other people the way to you by living the new life that I'm living. Amen. Just like the moon reflects the glory of the sun. That's what Jesus is talking about here for us to be a light. Not that we're the light, right? That we're reflecting people to him. 
He's the only one who has the truth that, that, can, that can make people new. And that's what being a light is. And really, that's the whole reason we're made new, right? We're not made new for ourselves. We're made new to reflect him, to glorify him, to magnify him. So this morning, as, as we kind of conclude and as Justin comes up to play, we're, we're going to give an invitation. If, you, if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I feel like I'm that one who's, who's stuck in darkness. You know, I'm that one who uh, I may be calloused or the way I've been living over and over. I need help. I need the light. We'd love nothing more to, to point you to Jesus and be that reflector and say, hey, you know, we don't have the answer. We, we're not the answer, but we know the answer, right? And in Jesus, amen. And that Brother Ben will be up here. I'll be up here. Boyd will even be in the back. But whoever needs to talk to, whatever your prayer is, whether it's praying for yourself or someone else that maybe, you know, needs the light or whatever it is, don't hold back on that today. I would just encourage you with that, that just as Jesus called us in Matthew to be a light, that a city on a hill lights up the whole town. I pray that people would say our church here in Crossroads and Begs and the members here and the people that are living here and that say, hey, my life has changed because of they showed me the answer, right? They showed me to Jesus, amen? So would you pray with me this morning? God, we just thank you so much for, for how amazing you are, for your amazing grace that just makes us new, that we can't do it on our own, that on our own we're left hopeless and in the dark. But I just pray that every single person in this room this morning would, would come to the light, whether it's uncomfortable at first because we're so callous or so used to our ways, God, that we just give that up and, and leave it there this morning, that we'd be willing to be dressed in your righteousness. Pray for people around us in our communities and our families, our neighbors, the people here in Beggs and other areas that, God, we know not everyone knows the answer. Not everyone knows you, God. We pray that you'd use us that we'd be willing to go, and that we'd be willing to, to take our lives who have been made new and that, and that we'd share that with others. God, we just thank you again for, for Jesus. Thank you for what he did on the cross. God, help us to remember that each and every day. Help us to, that to be what drives us and help us to be uh, focused on that always. We just thank you so much and beyond words, God, for who you are and just help us to reflect you in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.